Thank you, Brian. Shalom. It is so great to be back at Golden Hills. I always look forward to my time here. Many of you know me. I'm a Jew by birth. I'm a Christian by the new birth. And I am an ordained converged minister, so I feel very much at home here at Golden Hills. And uh, since I was last with you, God is continuing to bless the ministry in wonderful ways. You know, actually tonight at sundown begins the last festival of the biblical feast, the seven biblical feasts found in Leviticus 23. This is the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's a harvest festival where we can imagine right now in the land of Israel, they're bringing in all the crops, the final crops of the the winter wheat and the grapes and the pomegranates and the figs. But you know, when God speaks about harvest in the scriptures, it's not just agriculture, it's about people. And I want to tell you right now, there's a harvest going on in Israel that is very encouraging to me and I hope to you as well. One of the highlights of this year so far has been our outreach in the Samaria region, our Behold Your God campaign. And we have a special focus because in that area of Israel are a a tremendous percentage of of Russian-speaking Jews who have immigrated over the past couple of decades. In fact, now there are more Russian-speaking Jews in the land of Israel than outside of the land of Israel, including the former Soviet Union. And so God, as the Scriptures promised, is bringing His people from the north. And so we are seeing this group of people in particular the widest open to the gospel. And one story I want to tell you, we did something that we'd never done before. We kind of had, we offered a a Bible land tour for some of these relatively new Russian uh, immigrants. And uh, we were able to subsidize it so they could afford to pay and go. And we gave them a great tour. Then we brought them back to the base of operations for our Behold Your God outreach. And we fed them. And then we said, you know, one of our Russian-speaking staff is going to share his personal story, and you're free to come if you'd like. And out of the 49 people that got off the bus, 45 of them stayed to hear Valeri's testimony. When Valeri finished sharing his testimony, he extended an invitation to receive Christ, and 35 of those Russian-speaking Israeli Jews prayed to receive the Lord Jesus. Isn't that amazing? In my years of ministry, that's the most I've ever seen in one setting of Jewish people coming to faith in Jesus. And this is indicative of the times in which we are living and the opportunities that we're being presented with. And when you came in today in your bulletin, you should have received a card that looks like this. And I want to ask you to take it out. And uh, you'll notice it has a picture of me on one side of it, and there's a perforation. So what I'd like you to do is to go ahead and fold it a few times, and then we'll rip this on the perforation together on the count of three, and I'm counting in Hebrew. Are you ready? Echad, shtaim, shalosh. Very good. Now here, this picture of me, you can take me home with you today. It's a prayer reminder card, so bring it back tomorrow, okay? And remember to pray for me and for the ministry of Jews for Jesus. I really do appreciate your prayers. But this larger section, there's a place for your name and address. We'd like you to fill this out and drop it at the literature table that is out uh, in the outside the lobby uh, to the right as you leave. Susan Perlman, who is the Director of Communications, one of my colleagues. Oh, here she is. Hi, Susan. Would you welcome Susan Perlman here? She's been to Golden Hills before. 
she'll be at that table. And um, I just want to tell you one more thing that's going on in, uh, in Israel right now, which is very unique for us. We, um, one of the problems we have in Israel is you can't buy a New Testament in any bookstore. It's just not there. Most Israelis have never read the New Testament, the Gospels. And so we have produced a very attractive version of the Gospel of Matthew in English, in Hebrew, and in Russian. We've called it multitudes. It's one of the words that is used in the Gospel throughout many times. And there is art that we have commissioned that brings out the Jewishness of the Gospel and its connection to the Older Testament. And uh, there's 20 original pieces of art uh, along with the text of the Gospel of Matthew. Just uh, a week ago or so, we had the original art shown in a secular art gallery right in downtown Tel Aviv, and we offered these uh, multitude gospel of Matthews for sale, and we had hundreds and hundreds of Israelis coming to view the art. It was mentioned in the newspaper and on the television. Intriguing, said the guy on the television when he was talking about this, and many are intrigued, and so every time we get a chance to get the word of God into the hands of Israelis to read the New Testament, we're sowing seeds that I know is going to produce that harvest. So we need your prayers, and we need your involvement. Please feel free to stop at the table and drop that card off and see Susan. We have copies of this, not in Hebrew, not in Russian, but in English. We figured that would be a safe bet here today. And there's a lot of other resources. But, you know, my parents just arrived last night from Israel. They live there. And uh, because of this event that Brian referred to, becoming a grandfather the second time, only this is a grandson who's being born. And so on Wednesday, we're going to have four generations of Brickner men down in Los Angeles where my grandson, Levi, will be circumcised according to the covenant of Abraham. And uh, it's very exciting. But what I didn't know that my parents told me when I picked them up at the airport last night is that there was another major terrorist attack in Israel this week. Didn't read about it in the newspapers didn't read it, see it on television. Of course, the only thing you see on television these days is the election, right? And all the controversy connected to that. What a strange time we're living in. What a difficult time we're living in. And yet, it's a time that the Bible speaks about, I believe. You know, we don't uh, have a focus in the church all that much about last things, eschatology, end times prophecy. But I think we impoverish our hope if we don't understand that the Bible speaks directly to us. And so I want to ask a question that I think you already know the answer to. And that is, can Israel survive ISIS? Can America survive ISIS for that matter? What's going on? How to understand current conflicts through the lens of the Scriptures? And there's a verse from 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 where John talks about the fact that we're living in the last hour. Do we really believe that in the church today, that this is the last hour? Or have we kind of grown cynical about end times prophecy? Well, I mean, John was talking about it 2,000 years ago. And he said, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Now, most people, even if they don't know a lot about 
end times prophecy have heard about this antichrist. Someone who is coming in the future, who's going to be uh, a, a wicked uh, in opposition to all the work of Jesus on the earth. But John here is telling us, hey, it's not just a future thing. At his day and in our day, many antichrists, that is those who are opposed to the work of God in the world today, and vehemently, there's a cosmic conflict raging in the heavens and it's being worked out on the planet. And I believe one of the most key examples of this is in this ISIS that has dominated the headlines for so much of the last few years. For those of you who don't know, ISIS stands for the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. And while they represent a whole, only a small part of uh, the religion of Islam, and many within the religion of Islam oppose their worldview. Nevertheless, they are the most dominant force in the world today, and it seems that they're, even though the powers of the world, the might of the U.S. Army and Britain, British Army and French and all of the, NATO has been opposed and trying to stop this group, they seem to thrive. And why is that? I believe because it's not merely a physical conflict. It's not merely a military conflict, but it is a supernatural conflict that is going on in the world today. This is what happened in, in Israel this past week. All of the terrorist attacks are ISIS-inspired, primarily through the social media, through Facebook. For, for example, one of their own, Sheikh Muhammad Salah, posted this. My brother in the West Bank stab, stabbed the myths of the Talmud in their minds. That's the rabbinic commentary. Stab the myths of the temple in their hearts. You see, ISIS wants to take the land back from the Jewish people. And so they don't have necessarily access to weapons. So we are in a period of time called the intifada, the uprising in Arabic, the intifada of the knife. And there's just numerous stabbings of innocent civilians, men, women, and children going on weekly in the land of Israel. What is going on? And we in our own country have seen in San Bernardino and other places this ugly unfolding of this cosmic conflict. And I would submit to you that when the world seems to be going to pieces, it's simply that God is putting the pieces into place for his great plan. And the more we understand what the Bible has to say about these realities, the more we can be assured of hope. In fact, a book I wrote about this a while ago is called Future Hope, a Jewish Christian look at the end of the world. And I believe, you know, people got a little bit cynical about end times prophecy. And, you know, when the, the Soviet Union fell, they said, you know, see this whole Gog and Magog business isn't really going to happen. And Russia's out of the Middle East for good, right? Right. <laughs> Well, see, God's word, even though sometimes it seems it waits, it's going to be fulfilled. And that's what I want us to look at. Where is it that John got this idea of the Antichrist and many Antichrists? Well, he got it from the Scriptures, from the Older Testament, and, you know, we all love the book of Daniel for the stories about, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel and the lion's den. But all of the end times prophecy that Jesus 
and Paul and here John reference comes from an understanding of the scriptures. What you need to understand is something when it comes to prophecy that's called now and not yet. Let me give you a good example. In Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah predicts that a woman, a virgin, will give birth to a child and he will call, you will call his name Emmanuel. And the Bible goes on to say, and before this child knows to choose between the good and the evil, the problem that you're having from Syria in the north will be resolved. So that was the now. There was a prophecy and there was an immediacy, something that was happening sooner. But then in Matthew's gospel, we find that that's actually a prediction of the coming of Jesus the Messiah, Emmanuel, born of a virgin. And so that's the not yet. And as it is about messianic prophecy, so it is about end times prophecy. And here, for example, in Daniel 7, there's this amazing prediction about four kingdoms, Babylon and uh, Persia and Greece and Rome. And in fact, Daniel's so specific and so amazing in his prediction that many liberal scholars have said Daniel could not have been writing this part. The last part of Daniel had to be written much later, except for the fact that with the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls and other archaeological finds, we found whole manuscripts of Daniel that predate all of this and prove that Daniel was writing prophetically about the rise of these kingdoms. And then in the book of Revelation, we see how that has all played out in the future. That's the not yet of Daniel chapter 7. But this Antichrist is also predicted by Daniel in chapters 8 and chapter 11. And I've just put up some of the uh, verses and I'm going to read them. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong but not by his own power. See, there's that supernatural component of what we're talking about. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. And so this is the foundational passage concerning this one that we now know as the Antichrist. When was the last time you heard a message about the Antichrist in church? And yet, when John says many have gone out, it's important for us to understand what that means so that we can see our world and understand that this cosmic conflict has a very hopeful promise concerning the future. Because it's not just against America or just against the church, but it's against the prince of princes. Not just Jewish people have been destroyed by ISIS. According to, to David Barrett, who's one of the great demographers of the Christian faith, he said over 240,000 Christians have been murdered in the last 18 months. And we had 14 of them who were crucified just this past week. You don't hear about that in the news either, do you? But there is evidence of this. And the promise of Scripture is God knows all about it. 
This is the, the now and the not yet of this passage is very interesting because you know something about it even though you might not be aware of it. There was a person that, was, that fulfilled this and it was about 165 BC. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes and he came with the might of his Syrian army down into Israel, invaded and conquered the Jewish people. And his effort was a radical fundamentalist Hellenism. He was bringing Greek language, Greek culture, and Greek religion and forcing it on the Jewish people. And if he had had his way, the Jews would have ceased to exist as a unique people on the planet. And all of the promises concerning the Messiah that had yet to be fulfilled couldn't be because it was in that context of the Jewish people that those promises were to be fulfilled. And so the story of the defeat of this one that we read about in Daniel is recorded in history in the book of Maccabees because that's the name of the people that God raised up from the midst of the nation of Israel, Jewish men who fought against Antiochus and though vastly outnumbered, were able by the strength and power of God to defeat him, to drive him out of Jerusalem and recapture the temple which he had defiled with idols and sacrifices of unclean animals. And Jewish people to this very day still celebrate that wonderful event, and it's called Hanukkah. And every year we celebrate that God defeated Antiochus, but that was the now. The not yet is the one who is yet to come, the Antichrist, that beast. And we have many like that gone out into the world today, and we've seen them, and they've been in San Bernardino, and they've been in Jerusalem even this week. They want to destroy God's people on the planet. And the scriptures tell us it's not going to happen. They're going to be defeated. And we need to keep that. Now, in, in the Bible, there are hundreds and hundreds of promises concerning this that are encouraging for us. And we don't have the time to go through them. I put some of them up on the screen there for you to see. God promises that he has placed his name and his reputation on the land and sworn to give it to Israel as an everlasting covenant. And there's just four passages there that you can jot down and look up later and see that there's no way that we can understand that God has not been faithful to his promise to Israel. And because of that, we know he's going to be faithful to all of his people who he's made these precious promises to. They will be defeated, even as Antiochus was in 165 B.C. The people of promise. God said in Isaiah 49, Can a woman forget her nursing child? or fail to have compassion on the offspring of her womb, she may forget. She may. But Israel, I will never forget you. Your walls are ever before me. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. How did God engrave his people on the palms of his hands? I believe through the nail-pierced hands of the Messiah, Jesus. And not just Israel, but all of you who love Jesus today are engraved on the palms of God's hand and his promise of protection is over us. We are people of promise. And ultimately, there is a defeat coming to the Antichrist and the many Antichrists that have gone out into the world. Revelation talks about the final defeat. Zechariah 12, also a wonderful passage where God says in verse 3, in the last days I'm going to make Jerusalem a boiling pot of the nations and a heavy stone that no one can lift. Well, what does it look like today? Exactly that. 
And it's the one thing that all of the efforts at peace have failed to resolve, and that is Jerusalem. Because it's the third holiest site in all of Islam, ISIS wants it destroyed and rebuilt for the caliphate. It's the holiest site for Judaism because it's where Abraham brought Isaac up the mountain, Mount Moriah, which is now the Temple Mount. And it's the holiest site in all of Christianity because of where Jesus was crucified, buried, and risen again, and it's where he's coming back. He's not coming back to Brentwood, folks. He's coming back to Jerusalem. Amen? And you know there's going to be a, 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 an enemy, this Antichrist, who's going to, to the world, look like he's a great leader. He may be Syrian because the first one was. He's not Jewish. That's a, that's a myth that's been promulgated. I talk about that in my book. But he may be Syrian. And he'll, I think, perhaps, this is speculation, he'll be able to offer a peace plan between Islam and the West. Yeah? Who can do that? Well, maybe somebody from that region of the world. And so the world will look at him and say, what a great leader. But the Bible says from heaven's perspective, he's like a beast coming up out of the sea. And he deceives the nations of the world. And he gathers their armies together when they least expect it. When everything is peace, peace, he invades the land. Cutting off the north from the south and the plain of Megiddo. You've heard of Armageddon? Just simply means the hill overlooking that plain. Armageddon. That's where the battle is fought. From there down, down to the city of Jerusalem. The city is now surrounded. A lethal dagger is poised and pointed at the heart of the nation. God who promised those many promises must come through now or the end is at hand. And now at this most desperate of hours, Israel coming to the very end of herself cries out to God for a deliverer. And he comes. You hear it, you see it, the Lord himself shall descend with a shout. What does the shout of the creator sound like? <laughs> In my imagination, it begins like a rumble that gets louder and louder and louder until all warfare ceases. All activity on the planet comes to a screeching halt and all attention is grabbed towards those skies. We see the clouds rolled back as a scroll. The brightness of a thousand noonday suns fills our vision and there's the one we've been waiting for. The Prince of Princes, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And as he descends and as his foot touches the Mount of Olives, that mountain is split from east to west and then is fulfilled the promise of the prophet Zechariah who said, and I will pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn as one mourns for an only son and weep bitterly as in the weeping of a firstborn and in that day a great fountain will be open in Jerusalem for cleansing and for purification and thus all Israel will be saved. Hallelujah. <laughs> wow. You see, end times prophecy isn't about doom and gloom. It's about hope. And it's not just hope somewhere off in the distant future. It's hope for here and now because God will be faithful to his people despite the dark clouds that are hovering on the horizon. And we believe that. Don't we believe that? So what are the implications of that? It means that we are to bring this gospel of peace now. Peace will be established 
at the end by the coming of the Messiah. But we have that gospel of peace here and now. And it produces something powerful. It produces reconciliation that from a human perspective can't possibly occur. And we see this in the scriptures. The promises of peace are for the Arabs and the Jews. For God gave a blessing to Ishmael at the same time as he gave a blessing to Abraham. And he says to Abraham, I've heard you. I will bless Ishmael. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. And he will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. God has a promise for the Arab peoples. Though they may be trapped in the false religion of Islam now, there are more and more, just as there are more and more Jews, there are more and more Muslims who come into Christ seeing visions and dreams. And God is doing something that, again, you're not going to see on the news. But it's happening because he is putting the pieces of his plan into place. And we must believe and have hope. When Arabs and Jews can say to one another, I love you in Jesus' name, the world will truly see the reconciling power of the gospel. I want to show you the story of one such powerful display of love in the face of great injustice and violence. Let's take a look at Lisa's story. A single mother in Jerusalem has fond memories of her son's early years. His name, Asaf. Asaf uh, was a very easygoing, very happy child. Well integrated, could be very serious at times, but just normal, happy. At 18, it was Asaf's turn to do his time in the Israeli army. Two years later, he still hasn't found his way home. His mind is held captive by an act of violence, an event caught on tape. During the middle of the day, he took a lift from a civilian who lived in Ramot and had just finished a job on the base. And they'd only driven a couple of hundred meters out of the base into a junction that's called the Ayosh Junction. Students that had been demonstrating it had come down to this junction and they had already planned to wait for a soldier to come upon and to, to lynch him. A boulder came from the side of the driver. The driver managed to get out and he didn't run away. He ran towards the base to try and get help but Asaf was left trapped in the car. This first boulder had knocked Asaf unconscious. And when he did regain consciousness, which would have been very, very quickly, they then started physically to beat him. The doors were open, they were climbing inside from those sides, and they were beating his head, just beating him to pieces. He felt his weapon, his rifle, being torn off him. For a split second, the attention was off him and he just started to run. He couldn't see even where he was running to. And he ran and the army had managed to get there and they rescued him out of all this. He had two broken knees. His ribs were broken. His head was just totally cut open and his eyes were damaged. They've never been the same since. And then, the final blow. The army started to attack him 
saying that he had brought shame upon the army because he hadn't killed Palestinians. He hadn't made it a real show of force. The headlines in the papers would call him like the wimp of the army because he hadn't at least wounded 20 of them. It was humiliation. He felt humiliated. He felt he'd been done in twice. Abandoned by those he served, Asaf retreated to his bedroom for a year, becoming a recluse, physically scarred, emotionally tormented. He's still in a trauma, and every time an incident happens, a bus bombing or a car bombing or anything, his instinct reaction is to go to sleep for 24 hours. He can't cope. While Lisa tried to nurse Asaf back to health, she uncovered wounds of her own. Lisa, a Jew, had built her life around her belief in Yeshua, Jesus, and his teachings about love. But now, her life was filled with something else. I'm full of this, this bitterness and this, this wrath and this anger and this rage and this hate. And physically, it makes you ill. Bitterness just grows and grows and grows like cancer inside you. Inside, I was eaten up. Lisa's spirit became a casualty of war but she found a way to have peace again. She says Jesus came to her during prayer. He just said to me, Lisa, is it so hard for you to forgive? And I said, yes, it's impossible. Is it so hard for you to forgive? I said, Lord, what do you want from me? Don't you know how hard it is? And he said, yes. He said, I said, Father, forgive them. I, they know not what they do when I was pouring out my lifeblood for your sins, for the sins of the world. When I took it all on me, I said, Father, forgive them. He said, I know what it is. I know what suffering is. I know what pain is. And at that moment, I said, Abba, please give me your ability. I desire, but I can't do it. It's too big for me. It's too enormous. Give me your ability. Give me your compassion to release these people. And something just broke in me, just broke. Just like you just break a dam and all these torrents of garbage that just block up our lives and our spirits, just, just, it just went, just went. And then I thought, oh my goodness, supposing it's just words, supposing it really isn't there, supposing it just came out of my mouth. Supposing there's no connection between my mouth and my heart. That I was tested on. The test came after police captured one of Asaf's key assailants. Asaf was asked to testify, but was rendered too fragile to come to court. Lisa went instead. During a recess, Lisa looked around and found herself alone in the courtroom with three security guards and a man who tried to kill her son. And really shaking, I went over to him and I said to him, Mr. Supri, I said, in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, I said, I forgive him. I forgive you, Slicha, I forgive you. And I said, I can only do it because my sins have been forgiven me. He's forgiven me my sins. And in his name, I come to you and I forgive you your sins. The verdict came in. Guilty. The man will spend 10 years behind bars. But he is the only prisoner. Lisa says she is free, 
free from the bondage of hatred that is dividing the land. Asaf is making progress and Lisa is making arrangements to visit her son's assailant in jail to talk about peace. Hatred is sin and sin just is unacceptable to God. powerful story, Lisa's story, and the power is in the gospel. That's the power that can overcome the Antichrist. Jesus has already won the war through that simple act on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And he asks us now in the midst of this world of conflict not to allow bitterness to find a home in our hearts but simply as Jesus to say Father forgive them. Maybe there are people in your life or in the midst of this strange time we have in America where you are easily finding bitterness seeking a home the gospel tells us to be different kinds of people, people of hope and people of forgiveness because ultimately that's God's plan in the end. I just want to show you one promise from the scripture that when Jesus comes, he's going to accomplish that no one would ever imagine today. But look at what Isaiah tells us. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria the Syrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Syria. The Egyptians and the Syrians will worship together. In that day, Israel will be the third, along with Egypt and Syria, a blessing on the earth. <laughs> the Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Syria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. That's the vision of Scripture for the future. It looks so different from what's going on in our world today. But why is this going to happen? Because of the transformative power, the reconciling power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. That same gospel that we have been called upon to shed, to spread, and to allow to work on our hearts so that the reconciling power of God might be alive in us who believe. Let's hold on to that hope. Let's pray. O oh Lord, you declare the end from the beginning. We so easily see the dark clouds hovering on the horizon and fail to see beyond them to the brightness of the morning star. May that morning star arise in our hearts, even today, even now. And may the reconciling and redemptive power of the gospel be applied not only as a truth, but as a way of living and may you speak to our hearts today, God, to convict us of the areas in which we need to allow your spirit to work. 
And Lord, give us renewed confidence in your scriptures as the best lens through which to look out onto the world we live in and from your scriptures to gain hope now and for the future. In Jesus' name, amen.